And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of Until Saturday. Happy edition. <laughs> if you watched the end of uh, the last uh, NFL game of the afternoon, we were we were standing by and I was very interested in it, and you know the good guys won. Thankfully, uh, I'm Ari Wasserman was again. In the last 15 minutes, yeah, so. <laughs> people probably would have loved to watch it. I was very nervous, but it worked out in my favor. I'm joined by Mandy Navarro and Dave Ubbin for Sunday Sound Off. It was a very busy Sunday because there's a certain defensive coordinator who's no longer a defensive coordinator, and uh, Alex Grinch was let go by USC on Sunday afternoon. Uh, we're going to get into that, and then, of course, we're going to dive right into all the voicemails. I heard they're good. I heard I made somebody angry, um, and they came in pretty hot, and I'm excited to hear that. So, um, first of all, let me just formally welcome everybody to the third and final live show of the Until Saturday feed this week. Um, this is becoming my favorite or is my favorite show to record every week. Sorry, Manning, for Stars Matter, but I just love hearing <laughs> I love hearing I fans, you. and I love hearing what they have to say, and I like that they're integrated in, in this format. Um, if you're watching live on the YouTube channel right now, we thank you very much. If you are interested in listening in audio form while you're jogging or riding your dirt bike or on your way to work, we encourage you to subscribe to the actual podcast feed too, which can be found Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, join us live on YouTube. If you're listening to the podcast feed right now, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday and Sunday, Tuesday, now with the playoff, Reveal, we we have a reaction for that, too, a power hour with Nicole Auerbach and Chris Vanini. And, of course, if you're listening to this for the first time or need to be pushed over the edge, you can participate in our Sunday Sound Off episode by calling and leaving a voicemail on the Until Saturday phone line at 316-462-9852. Again, that is 316-462-9852. You can also text that number, but we will certainly favor the voicemails. Funny, angry, excited, any way you want to get, any way you want to approach it, we're here for it. Um, lastly, sign up for the Until Saturday newsletter, aptly named the same thing. Uh, you can find the link to that in the show's description. It gives you your daily fill of college football coverage from the extensive college football staff at The Athletic, and you do not have to be subscribed to The Athletic to receive that newsletter, though we certainly encourage you to do so. Okay, before we get into the voicemails, guys, I had been talking with friends, you know, Sunday during the day and hanging out. And the stat of the decade is the stat that Dave beat me to on Sunday night, which is a team that is rushing for roughly 100 yards a game coming into this weekend had a running back in Dylan Johnson, Washington this is, rush for 199 yards before being touched. And that's not a very good combination if your defensive coordinator wants to keep their job. We came into the year knowing that the Achilles heel of USC's team was the defense. They got some transfers. They got Bear Alexander, Tackett Curtis signed in last year's class. They've got some dudes, um, but were they going to be able to be a functional defense this year? And and somehow uh, they got worse. And I haven't looked up the statistics, but I watched the Washington game and my face started melting off of the bone. 
and I had to turn it off and put on the Alabama game. Dave, let's start with you. Uh, what is your yeah. reaction to Alex Grinch no longer being the defensive coordinator at USC, and what do you think this means for the Trojans football program moving forward? Two things. One, usually you can you can earn some good PR when you fire a coordinator that everybody's been screaming to get fired for a long time. You negate that when you do it after the season's already over. And everything that USC would have cared about achieving this year is gone. So you fire Alex Grinch midseason, and it feels kind of pointless because the season's already lost. Two, and, and you, you know, you could say maybe you should have fired him three games ago. Maybe you should have fired him a year ago. I'll listen to either of those cases. Two, this isn't a fix-all. Ari, I hit on it before the season, during the season. I think Grinch did not perform well this year. But I don't think that you bring in a new uh, new defensive coordinator that fixes things. I still think holistically how you practice, how you hit, how you emphasize, how you talk about the sport, uh, talk about your program, operate your program is maybe just as big as your coordinator situation. So I think Lincoln Riley's got to fix those things in the offseason. And I think he hurt himself with the timing and doing it now. Obviously, I get why you do it now. But who cares at this point? You've, you've lost the season. You know, Dave's been on this, and I think that Oklahoma fans will be the first to tell you that this isn't an Alex Grinch problem, that this is a Lincoln Riley problem. And we're certainly going to find out uh, if that's the case here in the next few years. But the reality is this. Lincoln Riley is going to be the coach there for the foreseeable future. He's nowhere near the hot seat. Mm-hmm. And somebody has to pay the piper for this. Somebody has to. And... uh you know, people are like, well, what do you think or why do you assume that the defensive buck stops with Alex Grinch? And it's like, he is the defensive coordinator. And I understand the tackling more in practice. It looks like they don't tackle in practice when you watch them play. It does. But there's a difference between being an offensive-minded head coach and not tackling enough in practice and literally fielding what I think is the worst defense I've ever seen in my entire life. And I think to myself, what would this USC program be if they just had a defense that that ranked 72, you know, like I'm not asking them to be the 2000 Ravens out there. I'm just asking them to play in a high profile game against Washington and not feel like no matter what happens, the other team is going to score points on that drive every time they touch the ball. And the only way that you can win is if you score a touchdown every time you touch the ball. I think it should have been done after last year. I was in Vegas for the Utah game and, you know, I know that, They were a half a football away from playing in the college football playoff, and I understand that Caleb Williams got hurt, and that probably had an impact on the way that that game ended. But they didn't tackle in that game. They didn't want to play defense in that game. And I think we've seen enough from Alex Grinch's resume to move on from that situation and go for a person who we know can coordinate defense very well. Manny, are you with me or are uh, are you with Dave on this? No, I, I think, look, until Lincoln Riley sort of uh, just decides to change his philosophy that you're not going to score, you know, 50 points every game and be able to win, uh, just just hitting 50 every game, um, like it, nothing's going to change at USC. It, it, it never changed at Oklahoma. Yes, they, they had Heisman Trophy winners and made the playoff and all that nonsense. But the bottom line is you're not going to win a championship. And, and all that nonsense. <laughs> 
You're just not. You're just not. I mean, Ari, yeah. I, I spend too much time like researching the. Uh, I, you know, I'm a stack guy, Ari. Okay, so that's, yeah, that's I've seen many spreadsheets. It looks like something that that would have been in the Unabomber's trailer, but you like, know, it's it's effective <laughs> and it's deep, and and he he really does his research. You know, he's a numbers guy. I'm a numbers guy, definitely. And I, I looked up the the five unbeaten's right, and and the six one loss teams. And you mentioned seventieth in, in defense, right? Like maybe USC if they improved mm-hmm. to seventieth, that'd be good enough. Uh, f- the worst of the 11 teams on defense in terms of scoring defense is Washington. They're 46th. And then yards per play. Wow. wow yeah. That's a good stat. Yeah. <laughs> and yards per play, uh, their 70th is Washington, 5.56 yards per play. So, you know, you got to be top 50 in scoring defense and probably top 70 in yards per play. And and you could you could be a team that, that maybe makes if the play. If USC's defense was just 70th, they win last night, right? Probably. Yeah. Just get a few stops and you win that game. I mean, they had the yeah, ball down yeah, three probably. late in the fourth quarter. I mean, yeah, probably that they ended up not, you know, Caleb Williams took a bad sack and then they punted it away and that was it. But, you know, they had a chance to take the lead against the team that we think might be in the playoff with the worst defense I've ever seen in my life. So, you know, and I know numbers are, are important and I think that's a very revelatory stat. Maybe I can bump it up to 50 just to to get there. But even then, that's not remarkable. I think you just need a coach that's going to recruit players and coach them up to be pretty good. You know, we're not asking for elite or excellent. You know, I'm sure USC would want that. But it is just so far gone that, you know, this, the, you know, Lincoln Riley had no choice. And people are like, I can't believe he, he actually did it. And it's like, really? I mean, I'm surprised it took this long. Well, whatever he does in the future moving forward, he's got to prioritize just recruiting the position better. Uh, and, and I think, you know, philosophy wise that, that hurry up offense, like that, that's going to exhaust your defense one way. It's going to take a toll over the course of a season. So to me, like there's something he's got to do on the offensive end too, to, to at least take a little bit of pressure off of his defense in my mind. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see what the next move is. Um, I do think that firing your coordinator in November gives you a little bit more street cred in terms of being serious about fixing the problem. You know, I don't know. Like you said, it's weird timing. Probably should have done it last year, but I thought it was an unserious program when they kept, when they kept them, you know, when they brought him back. So, you know, all eyes are going to be on this. I still thought, Ari, I still thought it, I think Lincoln probably agreed. Well, I don't know about agreed, but I think he, he clearly didn't feel like Grinch was the reason why the defense was struggling. I think maybe you could point to personnel. It was so what year changed? one. Well, in terms of what this year, if you don't think it's if, if it wasn't his fault last year, why is it his fault this year? I think they had another year, year of talent accumulation. Year two of the system, you add Bear Alexander, you get more guys. I mean, Eric Gentry, another season in there, and, and it's getting worse. And I think, I, I think the conversation around it probably had to affect it at some point. Whether he thinks Grinch is a problem or not. The toxicity has was to overflowing. Well, it's not even that. I, I don't think he sees it that way, Ari. I think it's more just like it's a distraction for the program. Like that's I think a lot of the coaches, when they recognize that the whole program gets defined by one thing. I mean, this is why Beth Getz pulled the trigger on Brian Ferentz, right? And this is why Kirk Ferentz was, was It wasn't not that they couldn't get a first down? No. I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't think so. I think it's that it's distracting to the program. I mean, you you have one of the best college quarterbacks we've ever seen play the sport, and all anybody can keep talking about is how the defense is awful. That's a problem for a university trying to put its best foot forward. And you can 
you can look at it in an analytical way and keep it strictly on the field, but I don't, a, a lot of times are, that's not how a lot of these decisions are made. And I think if this, I mean, I think obviously all those things are true and I'm sure that factors in, but the thing that might push it over the goal line, you know, it, it, in sometimes is, is just looking around and being like, we can't have our program just covered in like toxic fumes constantly. And firing grants doesn't fix it, but at least it ends the conversation and you stop talking about how bad things are and you start looking at, okay, well now who can we get? And you start dreaming of a future and you start selling hope and you can start more importantly, Ari mining the portal. Keep an eye on the portal. Portal day is 31 days away. If you got your coordinator in place pretty quickly and you're all of a sudden making calls, of course, no one would ever make a call before the portal was open. We know that honor among thieves but the second the portal opens and you start calling guys and going in there, you got your ducks in a row. And I think that that is a compelling uh, reason to do this. You want to know why I'm so smart? I read a lot. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm well read. That's so great, let me read Ari. you a opening passage from Antonio Morales' story. No, I don't <laughs> read Hemingway. I don't read novels. I read Antonio Morales. The great Antonio. Yes. Yes. yes the Our, our wonderful uh, USC writer. Mm-hmm. Very, very good USC writer and thankful that he's on our staff. He's and had a busy again, day today. Part of the reason why you should sign up for The Athletic is because we have guys like this um, from coast to coast. But here it is. Los Angeles. Dash. Late in the first half of USC's 52-42 loss to Washington, the ABC camera crew centered in on Trojans defensive coordinator Alex Grinch as he tried to deliver a message to his players huddled around him during a timeout. Alex Grinch was done speaking. He raised his hand in an apparent attempt to break the huddle in unison. As he raised his hand, however, the response from USC's players were faint. And immediately out of that timeout, the Trojans surrendered a touchdown. Honestly, the sort of epitomized Grinch's two-year stint as the Trojans' defensive coordinator. And I don't know if you guys saw that, what the lead is, but I read it was kind of like, see that moment. Have, you, have you seen the movie Heavyweights? I have. It's one of the it's one of the great pieces of American cinema yes. ever created. So yes. you know, at the beginning of the movie, when the campers go to Camp Hope, mm-hmm. and they're all excited, they're getting to camp. You know, they do the download of all the candy and stuff, and then the late Jerry Stiller goes up there and is talking, and he goes, uh, hi, hi, "Let me hi, hear the hi-ya. sound." <laughs> hi, hi, hiya! You know that 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 we, thing, Manny. We got to get you on heavyweights, Manny. I got to yeah. see this. I definitely it's, it's an American this. cinema. Is, fen- uh, yeah. I will say it, it came along at the perfect time for uh, Ari and I. And Manny, you might be a few months older than us, but we grew we up with get it because when board. we came yeah. out, it was a kids' movie, and our parents showed it to us as kids' movie. And then as we grew up, we realized it was a. It's the prequel to Dodgeball. Yeah, oh, really? it's more or less. Ben Stiller is in charge of overweight kids at camp and like <laughs> abuses them. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, okay. But you know that they go, hi, hi, hi. And then when he gets fired and he goes, do you have any last word of advice? Um, and he goes, don't ever let anyone sign your checks. You know that. And then he goes, can I get one last camp? Hope. Hi, hi, hi. And the entire camp goes, hi, because they're upset and depressed. Yeah. That's how they broke the huddle. That was a very great analogy, Ari. This is why yes. this is why you're the goat podcaster. But like that's I mean, it's just like your coordinator doesn't have your team brought in on the field in a top ten matchup. I wonder how much like, of it's it just like how is much of Lincoln. that is like, oh, they didn't tackle enough in June. Like, no, well, they, I wonder how much of that is Lincoln. Message. How much of that Lincoln saw over the last few weeks is like Alex has lost these guys. And I think that has to factor in the decision too. Um, so we'll I think see, it's, it's we'll an, see it's what an Lincoln said. I have to assume Lincoln will be more. 
I assume Lincoln will be more um, forthcoming about the reasons for his change than uh, Deion Sanders was after Colorado. Yeah, I, I, I transcribed that because I'm that writing about it tomorrow. That that, that 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 was that's that wasn't. Yeah, the Deion's my un, way or the highway get you get you with a one way ticket on the highway here pretty soon. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see how that goes. That's a different discussion for a different day. All right, guys, uh, that was the USC discussion. I'm sure that we will continue to monitor monitor this. You know, as the search goes on, USC is no longer a discussion point um, as we go into the playoff. And that's that when you can't play D and you can't even breathe. I watched the game. I don't know if you guys watched the game. It felt like USC didn't have a chance to make a play on the ball until they were seven, seven yards downfield. That was like when the play started. The entire defense goes backwards. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Voicemails? Let's do, do it. it. Voicemails. Ari, David, Vern, again, calling from Boone Pickens Stadium. Watching our fans carry part of the East end zone goalpost out of the stadium, probably to take it onto campus somewhere. Who knows? Won the final bedlam. Go Pokes. <laughs> calling from the stadium is hardcore, man. <laughs> Appreciate I love that, Vern. I love yeah. it. We've been... We've been trying to get Iowa fans to call us while they watch. We know the stadium's probably pretty quiet, especially at Wrigley on Saturday. But uh, no, Ari, can I be honest with you? This e- this this voicemail, it, it kind of makes me a little sad because we're losing games like this. Mm-hmm. We have, I know we're getting it back, Ari, but we have not played Texas and Texas A and M in twelve years. That is a travesty to the sport. Like it should even be the last allowed. one. It was, should be like a felony. Should, <laughs> you know, we've been talking about, well, I, I joke about this, like Congress steps in and they're messing around with the NIL thing, which is not going to lead to anything. This is wasting Congress's time. But like legitimately, if Congress wants to get involved in college athletics, force in-state rivals to play each other. Even some of these one, these cold wars that have been going on forever between the big schools and the little schools where they just see there's no upside. It's great for the state. You're going to sell tickets. You're going to have these rivalries develop. And so... It's been 12 years since we played since we played Texas and Texas A&M. I was at the last one in 2011. It was fantastic. And Bedlam, I've covered that game a handful of times. It's unbelievable, man. It 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 is the this is what college sports is. This is what makes the sport great. This is why the sport has built itself into a billion dollar television property because so many people for better or worse, their self-worth and pride is tied up in a lot of these rivalries. And that makes people care a lot about what happens. And it reflects um, our society in a lot of ways. And it reflects um, the tenor of a state. And 
it just, it is, it's, you know, I'm glad Oklahoma State got their moment, but the fact that we're going to be living in a world where that game is not going to be played for probably a long time, it's just, I'm sad about it, man. I'm sad about it. Yeah. Not to start the show on a downer, but that, <laughs> because I, I do love like getting the slice of life and hearing from people in the moment and getting great voicemails like that. Um, and I'm glad for Oklahoma State that they got their, their moment, but they should get to have another moment next year and we're not. And that sucks. Agree whole, wholeheartedly. And, and, and I guess my question to you guys, and not that I should be the one raising questions, but how do we sort of bring that game back? Do we, do we have to sort of hope that college administrators decide to just eliminate the FBS FCS games to accommodate because so many conferences are playing nine game schedules, right? So yeah. how do we, how do we get to this point where we can bring some of these games back? Well, it's two things. One, you got to have new leadership come in, um, you know, with Texas, you know, when it was the lost Dodds and when it was, um, you know, Bill Byrne and uh, I forgot who replaced him at A&M. You know, these are the guys that were talking a big talk when they broke up and you see this all the time. Um, same thing with Missouri, Kansas, some of these other really, really heated rivalries that the guys who, you know, are, th- are in the chair when the conference moves happen, they say, we're not doing this. Oh, you know, over my dead body. And then literally sometimes that (laughs) happens like guys like literally are not in the chair anymore and priorities change. Um, You know, TCU SMU is another good example of this where that rivalry is dead, but it might come back because SMU literally bought their way into the ACC. And so even though you're playing the nine game schedule, you have a major conference requirement that you have to play somebody in a major conference. So TCU is kind of reassessing that. And I'd like them to continue that game. That's another great robbery. Those schools are, you know, 40 minutes apart from one another. And so, but but this one, you know, I don't know. I, I think Oklahoma is taking such a step up in class that I don't know that they're beating down the door. And Oklahoma State is rightfully pretty bitter about all this. I don't, I think, you know, Here's Mike Gundy would like I to use. beat them on the way out said and that. run them out. Oklahoma didn't kill the game. Like the notion that Oklahoma didn't kill the game. They killed the is, game. Is but it's an Oklahoma fan will tell you they didn't kill the game. They killed the game. But I use this analogy on Saturday night and I'll use it again. It's like you might be living with somebody and think you're in love, and if that person cheats on you and wants to take you back, you might not feel like it. You know what I mean? Like I I, I side with the program that didn't bail for money. And like you said, Dave. It's not like somebody knocked on Oklahoma's door and said, "Hey, we we got some more money for you." They they left. They called the SEC. They were they the called the SEC. They saw the other person in the bar and made the first move. And you know, yeah. I, I I don't know if that's a bad analogy, but it's, it's it is what it is. So um, and we're going to see this again at the end of the year. I mean, rivalry week this year. You know, obviously the ones that jump to mind are the Apple Cup, and I think they stopped calling it the Civil War. All right, whatever. Like whatever you want to call Oregon, Oregon State. Like that one's a little bit different because the Pac-12 was you know, splintering and, and Washington, Oregon, you know, they would love to be in a thriving pack 12, but like it, it, it's going to be tough to watch those games and look at a future where they're not happening every year. And I think those games may be played sooner than Bedlam is, but you know, that we're seeing, you know, we, we talked about this in theory over the summer, Ari, that, you know, all these realignment moves are happening and the sport is consolidating and it's breaking up a lot of these things. And you know, that, in the back of your head, but then when you see it really happen and you see them throw the goalposts in there and know that Oklahoma State, you know, they're going to win a bunch of ball games. It's a proud program. Mike Gundy's a winner. 
but you're not going to have a moment that means that much to you for a long time. And that, that is tough to see. I'm wearing the FSU hat today, which I have, I've noticed some of the comments people are wondering, they associate me with Miami, <laughs> like, what the hell are you doing wearing an FSU hat? So this is a Halloween prop, by the way. I, I happen to just do that for my, uh, Miami podcast. But anyway, I'm wearing the FSU hat because I love the Miami FSU rivalry. And I know it sucked for the last few years because both of these programs have fallen off. Uh, but like just the thought of, like FSU leaving the ACC one day and Miami FSU getting broken up or something like that. Like I got to imagine in other parts across the country, it's devastating. Like I, for me as somebody who grew up in South Florida, like Florida, Miami was such an awesome rivalry. And the moment that stopped becoming an annual rivalry, it totally sucked. And now they play, you know, uh, once every decade or twice every decade, you know? And, and so I, for me, I understand the the pain of, of people at Oklahoma state, and, and other places across the country that are losing these rivalries because to me, that's what college football is all about. We've lost too many. And, you know, Ari, I, I disagree with you on a lot of things, but I think on the, on the whole, I agree with you that I don't want the college, fo- the college football to become the NFL. And, you know, and quit trying to a- then quit banging the drum for <laughs> things that have already happened that are doing that. <laughs> well, we don't have time to get into a playoff well, debate, Ari, but I will say. The number say, one thing I- about the playoff is that we can make it like the NFL. That's the whole thing. We don't have time for this, but a bi-coastal I, I, you Big brought Ten. It up, so I'm just bi- telling you know you're wrong again. <laughs> I'm not, but it's fine. A bi-coastal <laughs> Big Ten, you know, where we have. I'm sorry, Rutgers always catches strays, but like Rutgers and Maryland and Oregon and Washington in the same league is just like the even the NFL is more regional than that, and this sport is so built upon geography and regionality and identity, and we're really losing that. And I, I, Bedlam was kind of like, you know, it's coming. It's sort of looming. It's in the back of your head. But Bedlam, I think, was the first time that you really see the cost of this. And it's great on game day. Um, and you see these games that are already really intense get really heightened. And then it ends and you're like, so that's it. You know, it's kind of like you're waiting to go on vacation. You get really excited about a vacation and you go on the vacation and it's awesome. And then you get home and you're like, I got to go to work on Monday. And I, that's that's just the thing about the, call, college the football is in the middle of the Sunday scaries, unfortunately, the regionality of the sport. And I don't know if that's, you know, as the NFL has more influence on college and, and all those things and schematics, maybe it's becoming less and less prevalent. But also too, the regionality of the sport also has a personality impact on the way that the games are played. I mean, you're over here bemoaning the Big Ten yeah. West and you hate it. And it's like, well, that's the way those teams play. And I think they a lot of that to. is predicated. Well, a lot of it's probably predicated on the talent they have access to, too, Dave. Yeah, like, you that's know, part of it. What, what is Iowa going to do? So go run five wide every every play? I mean, like it's not what their players can do for the players that they get. Um, so build a seven. You know, and it's seven funny. My out. my mentor uh, or former colleague Doug Lamarie said um, when we worked together at the Plain Dealer tweeted this on Saturday, and I thought it was funny. These four teams are in the same conference next season. Iowa Northwestern first half, colon, 110 yards, zero points. USC Washington first half, 601 yards, 63 points. It's like, forget the mileage. They don't even fit. It's not the same personality. It's not the same vibe. And like part of the regionality thing of the sport was taking the best team from that pond that's Midwestern 
and then playing the best team on the offense pod and seeing which one would win. Like that was the whole. Yeah. Everybody wants non-conference games because they want to see which region of the country has got the best football right now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, have fun with your UCLA Rutgers game, but like, I'm not into it. And this is why I wanted to see Oklahoma State play Alabama in, or play LSU in uh, 2011 and not another Alabama LSU rematch. And the only thing that the 12 team playoff actually does, depending, they don't mess with how it's seated, and I'm sure they will, they will, is leaves the door open for teams that don't fit or get left behind to still make it. Like the only thing that keeps them engaged in the actual sport because they're no longer affiliated with conferences like Washington state can still make the playoff in the 12 team field. Thank God. Cause I don't want their team and their fans to feel like they're not part of the sport anymore. Yeah. That's the only thing it offers. And I bet you they're going to yank that away too here pretty soon because once the AFC and NFC happens champion it, you know, that's uh, you know, that's where we're headed. So, okay. Thanks for the, the question, Vernon and have a cigar uh, and enjoy um that victory, you're going to remember it for a long time, and we're going to certainly miss it. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Jack. I'm calling from Rochester, New York. Uh, I'm a big Mizzou fan. I was really happy, obviously, with how uh, the Mizzou-Georgia game went. I was kind of left that game feeling like, wow, we're like a respectable program again after a lot of years just being kind of a laughing stock in the SEC. Um, but then I go on Twitter, and obviously Twitter is not exactly the best place to catch reactions, but a bunch of people on Twitter, Mizzou fans, were kind of talking about how there are no moral victories. And, like, if you don't really get a victory, like, that's the only thing that matters. Like, we still haven't proven that we're a serious contender in the SEC until we, like, dismantle Tennessee or beat Georgia on the road or uh, actually get a signature victory. Um, so I was curious what your guys' take is on moral victories. Are they real? Do they mean something? Do they have, like, actual, if uh, like, effects? in terms of either rankings or recruiting or things like that. Thanks for listening. We've got a strong take on this. Can I start? Please do, Ari. I think moral victories matter in January through July. I think as you're assessing your program in the offseason, you look back and say, hey, you know what? This team went X and X, and they won X more games. They were competitive with Georgia on the road. They're respectable in the SEC. I feel really good about the direction of my program. I don't know. Like, here's the thing with Mizzou. Mizzou didn't come into the year where their success or failure was going to be predicated on beating Georgia. So from that standpoint, if you're a Mizzou fan and you're like punching the wall and saying, this is bullshit. It doesn't count. Like we didn't win. We're not good. Like you need to watch the game and like be proud of what your team has built and is building. So if that's a moral victory, then sure. Um, at the end of the day, if Mizzou is nine and three at the end of the year or 10 and two, you can look back at the season and go, you know what? That was a successful year and hell next year. You might even make the playoff because loses losses don't matter. But this one, Ari, you're, 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 uh, you fired Ari's, me up. Ari's man. trying to pick a fight. <laughs> I am. I, I, you don't pick at my scabs and then expect it not to bleed, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. You're no, but like, but seriously, I mean, I guess, I don't know. What do you think? I mean, do you, do you think that, I, that I'm on so, something yeah, there? Somewhat. I, I think that moral victories to me are all about trajectory. Where are you at? Okay. And, and if you're Missouri where you haven't had a winning season in, you know, four or five years, something like that, you know, Eli hadn't had one. It got a little bit stale there at the end of the Barry Odom era. 
you need some signs to say, hey, we're building this thing. We're building this thing. And, you know, for in Missouri's case right now, they've recruited really, really well. Um, you know, we mentioned last week, Drinkwitz has him from 50th into a team talent composite in 2020 to 25th. Now he went five and seven and recruited the best recruiting class in school history. Uh, they've already got a top five, you know, commit in Williams and uh, Winery. Uh, they ripped him away from Oklahoma. But you got to show it on the field. And when you haven't had a winning season, you know, having a trajectory where you look like you're going to win nine or 10 games and pushing Georgia on Georgia's home field and getting props from Kirby Smart after the game. A coach can't say it's a moral victory, you know but you can look, takes to close you can the look gap at between it. those two programs. I mean, it's not a matter of 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 when are it's a matter of if and it's a gigantic if, you know, the idea of quote, unquote, closing the gap. It's yeah, well, it's more about like minimizing the gap and maybe stealing a game when you can like right. the gap. The idea like, you know, Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State. I mean, I guess we'll throw Ohio State in there. Ari. I'm, I I'm, guess. Well, You're being too I'm just hard saying, on them. I know like they're in this space where they have these all star teams and like how many programs in the country, if everything went perfectly for them in the next five years, could theoretically join that group a dozen. And that yeah, might I was be gonna say a 10. lot. Yeah. yeah I was gonna say and 10. that might even be a lot. So like, you well, know, if everything if, went perfectly for them, maybe more. Maybe. But like you know, access to talent, money, all these things. A lot of places have a ceiling. Well, let's there's name them. A, Do you want to name them? No, we don't have time for that. <laughs> but there's like a dozen places that don't really have a ceiling. That like they could theoretically win back to back national titles, right? Okay, Miami's one of them, or uh, uh, Miami probably. I think it might be more than ten. Maybe we don't okay, have time. Oh, for that, let right. me do it real quick. Clemson, <laughs> okay, Florida State, Miami, Notre Dame. Michigan, Penn State, Penn State. Oh, okay, all right. If everything went perfectly you. for Penn State, I'll give it to you for exercise I, sake. I can't I'll give believe it to that you. that was the one that you jumped in at. Penn State. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oklahoma, Texas, USC. There might be like seven of them in the SEC, and in the SEC, Auburn, Florida. LSU, Tennessee, maybe Tennessee. Tennessee might be a stretch. Tennessee has some issues with access to talent. And A&M, which has already kind of done it. So that's probably roughly 10. Okay. Did I forget anyone? Uh, Air Force, I think, Ari. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, buddy. I'm just just happy I don't got to see that logo in the expanded playoff graphics. (laughs) Just relieved by it. It's like quit patronizing people. You don't like lightning bolts, Ari? Come on now. Come on now. I think I, I think do Ari's, when it strikes down their their chances of ruining our playoff. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ari's point about it counting in in January to June is absolutely right because that's when coaches can bring this kind of stuff up and it and it means something because you forget about the rest of the season, right? You could always just turn around and say, "Well, remember when we played Georgia tough and we only lost thirty to twenty one?" Mm-hmm. Um, I, I we had a long argument on on Stars Matter this past week, uh, Ari about. Uh, you know, Missouri and their recruiting and how much progress they're really making. And it's like, you're right. I mean, th- yes, they've got Williams, uh, Noari as one of their commitments, but they just lost Ryan Wingo to Texas. And, you know, they've had a great season. And that's a guy in their backyard that they're not getting, a five-star wide receiver. So, um, yeah. it, to me, it's a really uphill climb to make the any reason of these why things they, count. And the reason why they didn't get him might be the thing that stops them from ever doing it. So... It's a little more complicated in the NIL era. Like the yeah. the recruiting 
I mean, just recruiting and projecting, projecting recruiting in any way in the NIL era is just like a more interesting exercise, I will say. So the uh, comments are great tonight. <laughs> As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Should we just go to the next question? Let's go to the next voicemail, please. Hi, this is Keith from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, I just wanted to call, and it's going to sound a little harsh, but the recap episode on Saturday featured some of the things that Ari says that annoys me the most. According to Ari Logic, uh, football season's over. October 28th, we can declare it dead. There's no point in watching any more college football the rest of the year. Uh, in addition to snide comments again about the 14 uh, versus 12-team playoff, and there's just no business, uh, none of the games mean anything because of the 12-team uh, playoff uh, in one sentence, and then like uh, less than five minutes later, shouting out, uh, over anyone who has an opinion that Georgia can be beat this season. Uh, so apparently no one can beat Georgia, and it's insane, I think, to use Ari's words, to think anyone can beat Georgia. Since no one can beat Georgia, they're the only ones that can win the national title, so it sounds like the uh, season's over. October 28th, 2023. Declare it dead. Thanks. Bye. I like Keith. Keith I wish I knew. <laughs> Keith, thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. You sound like a one-star reviewer, but you know I'll, I'll allow it because you're participating. Um, I would die to know what Keith or what what program Keith roots for. It's probably not Alabama. Yeah, it's, it's nobody. Nobody with a chance to win a championship is my guess. Yeah, I would say that's probably right. You know, there's a lot of people on Twitter um, who pump up, for a lack of a better word, bullshit to people. And they flare it out what? there. Oh, look at this team. Look on at this Twitter? Team. Reporters. Um. Oh, this team's really good, or this feels good, or whatever. And I, unfortunately, it is who I am. <laughs> I like to speak sternly and firmly about what I believe. And try to be as honest with people as possible. Last year, and I'm talking crap about our own staff. And if you did this, you heard I'm coming for you. <laughs> How many people gave out college football playoff projections last year? And or I mean the 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 playoff championship game projections. Mm-hmm. I think it was twelve, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Six people, I think, or five, 
pick TCU to win. They cover Mm -hmm. college football professionally. (laughs) This is their job. I've seen Ari rant about this at like two in the morning before. So, yeah. And I don't, for the life of me, understand it. Now, it is possible that Georgia doesn't win the national championship this year. It is possible that a new team comes out of nowhere with their Tinkerbell wings and wins the title. It's out there. We like Disney movies. You know, you've watched Star Wars a hundred times. It could happen. But as a podcast host and somebody who talks about college football and writes about it for a living, it's my duty and my responsibility to convey the truth to people. There are a lot of fan sites out there that make a lot of money telling fans things that are rosy and nice and feel good, but aren't true. I'm always just going to be honest. And guess what? If Georgia loses or Michigan State wins the championship one year or Florida State does it this year, we can hop onto this podcast and I will gladly bend over and say sorry and and plead that you forgive me. But unfortunately, the planet that I live on is 20 years of data (laughs) that has infallibly, not once, accurately predicted the national champion. So until then, and guess what? I'm scared saying this because this year is the weirdest year out of all of them. Mm-hmm. Because the three powers are all seemingly vulnerable. But I don't understand why people get so mad at me basically saying the team with the most good players is probably going to win. Well, I think part of it, Ari, is I think part of it, especially in this specific instance, is that we have seen this Georgia team look so much better last year Mm -hmm. and the year before. And for it to be October 28th, and is it fair to say that you were ready to hand them the trophy after the cocktail party in Jacksonville last week, Ari, when you got back to your hotel in Jacksonville? Group A, Ohio State, (laughs) Alabama. We can't do the the group A exercise anymore. Okay. Okay. All right. Until group A doesn't win it. All right. I'm going to think the group A is going to win it. And if you think that there there is, there is a notion and I have written columns about it. Like I watch Florida state play. And when Florida state is awesome, they look like they could win the national championship. Mm -hmm. They really do between Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson and Benson and Travis and all the guys that they have on their offense. They can score on anybody, right? Yeah. That said, when I really go to bed at night and put my head down on my pillow and I think about it, do I really think that Florida State would be able to line up against Georgia and beat them in the trenches where the games are won and lost? And Jared versus on the team. They have the pieces. It wouldn't be the most unbelievable thing in the world if they ended up doing it. It would certainly be far more believable than TCU winning the championship last year. Mm-hmm. That said, I watched Georgia physically manhandle another team that probably has equivalent talent to Florida State. Now, they don't have the, the, the players at the skill position players. Like, they don't have Keon Coleman. They don't have Johnny Wilson. But there is this notion that Florida State would either be favored, and look, it's already happening here. Matt McCarty, my favorite commenter of the day. It could be done. Yeah, I mean, I guess it could be done. Here's my question. I'm not going to predict that it's going to. Why would I do that? Here's where I think people get mad at you, Ari, is because 
Because I talk with I conviction. Will, no, I will help you out here, Ari. I'll help you out here. When you talk about these issues, it sounds like you think there is a 100% chance that Group A, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, wins the national championship. Put a number on this, Ari. What this percent is the first chance year does someone it, else? This is the first year where it wasn't 100% for me. Okay. Like last year was 100%. The year before was 100%. The year before that was 100%. I would say 85% that the best team or the, the group a would win this year. Okay. So if I'm that gives, that if that gives Keith, I'm, I'm, I'm not that a high because I'm, I'm a Michigan believer. So, yeah, well, you know what? Listen, Bruce Feldman wrote a story before the year started mm-hmm. that said that he, that Jim Harbaugh believes that Michigan could have 20 players off of its current team drafted in this upcoming draft. If that comes true, then yeah, Mm-hmm. Um, I have a hard time with Michigan right now because I have not seen them play anybody good. Yeah, that doesn't mean that I don't think that they are in that group with Florida State and Washington. I mean, Michigan, most people will probably say, is the favorite to win the national championship right now. They have very good lines. You know, I don't know if Georgia Light can beat Georgia. Manny, where are you at on this? Well, you know, I'm a research guy, Ari, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Danny's about to whip out the Excel spreadsheet. about to it. hit me with the quantum <laughs> equation now. Well, of the 11 teams that I mentioned earlier, the five unbeatens and the six one yes. loss teams. Yes. Okay. All right. After um, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia, you only have two other teams that are ranked in the top 10 in the talent composite. Do you guys know who it is without looking Texas? at it? Texas? Yes. Um, who are the 11? And I'll tell you. Just well, name the 11 off. F- Florida State, uh, Washington, Michigan, uh, Oregon, Texas, Alabama, Penn State, Ole Miss, Michigan. Not Michigan. I just wanted to say it so you said not Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Oregon and Texas. Texas is yeah. sixth. Oregon is 10th. The next closest team after that is Penn State, 13th, and Michigan is 14th. So those are your, your top 15 talent composite teams. And to answer your question, uh, I think Group A, somebody in Group A is going to win the championship again. Yeah, and here's the thing, though. The question is, how far along are you in the process that the portal has rendered the numbers useless? Because I think there will be a time where that's true, where the 247 uh, sports composite rankings is is a dinosaur because Jared Verse, um, Jordan Travis, Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson and whoever else I'm forgetting off of Florida State's roster who all transferred in. Right. Were three star well, players or, or less. And they're yeah, all playing like those, first or second round draft picks. Yeah. So that that negates the number. So like Florida State's composite Well, they're 20th. Ranking. They're 20th in the compo- in the team talent composite. So, so they're probably more like 8, 9 or 10 if you add right. those guys in because you're you're talking about those guys are producing at a level that you would expect from a high end four star or low there's yeah. no such thing or a five star hitting. So that's a that's a tremendous amount of talent you're adding. That said, when Georgia is playing you in the fourth quarter of the game and they bring in their third string defensive tackle who's going to be playing on the Eagles in two years and he hasn't played a snap yet, are you going to be able to block that dude with the game on the line? Like that is the thing. It's so exciting to, oh, it's sexy. Look at Michael Penix throw the ball. That team is not winning the national championship this year. They're not. And I'm sorry if you're a Washington fan. I watched the game last night. You will not win the national championship. This year. I feel good about that take also. I will say, Ari, just to... Wash my hands of this. 
the headline on the coaching confidential that I did for the national championship last year was Georgia's going to boat race him. I did think TCU was going to cover for the record, but why? Uh, cause I thought they could keep it close, man, but they couldn't. Why? Cause you like Disney movies. Hi, hi, hi! He saw heavyweights. That's it's not like Georgia had never played a close game, and TCU had been playing above their weight class all season long. Here's the thing, buddy, and we haven't really had an opportunity to watch many of them because mostly the Final Four teams are the superpowers. Clemson used to be one of those teams too. They're not right now, unfortunately. Yeah, well, they might not be for a while, but yeah. But how many times? Upsets happen all the time in the regular season, right? You play a little grab ass on the road. Maybe you got a noon kickoff game against a team that's four and four. That happens all the time. Teams sneak up on teams in the regular season all the time. We haven't had a single big upset, not one in the playoff. You want to know why? Ari, TCU is like an eight point underdog to Michigan. Are we just not counting that? Oh my God. Oh my God. If that counts, okay, fine. They won the game. I'm saying the the superpower of the sport. Okay. Losing right. to the Michigan was not that last. They were you're, good. You're, you're waiting for like a Cincinnati to pull Cincinnati, one off on Alabama. It's, and it's not going to happen. You want to know why? Because you can't sneak up on Georgia in a freaking dome. <laughs> They're ready to play. They're hungry. They're two wins away from a national championship. Michigan State, Washington, all these one-off teams that made it in the eight years or the seven years that the playoff has existed have all gotten their freaking asses kicked because they are not equipped athletically to compete with those teams. And you might, am I hurting your feelings? That's fine. I'm hurting your feelings. But it's like, this is not basketball. UMBC is not going to hit nine threes with nobody in their face. This is a physical game where depth and talent matter. And the truth of the matter is, is that I bet you Georgia's twos could probably run with Washington for a few quarters. You're probably right. And if that's the case, then what the hell are we doing? Group A. <laughs> Next Group voicemail? A. And you want to know something? You can bet on it, buddy. Hey, Keith, I'm an asshole. Go put your money down. I do every week. We need to get guess what? Group A live hat with the live, live, live with the daycare <laughs> for, the four, logos. for a few months for free last year because of of the gift that Vegas was giving out in the national. Producer game Cam, can we get Ari a Group A hat with the three logos for the next rest of the season? <laughs> group A. Hi, this is Gabe from Chicago, Illinois. I'm uh. Long-time nerd and fan and college football enjoyer and found myself this Saturday watching a team that I am extremely familiar with. Excellent on one side of the ball and just not even serviceable in a big game on the other. I don't know how it is forgivable for a team to have a quarterback who's excellent at RPOs and only run two play actions the entire game um incredibly predictable play calling so is marcus freeman already on the phone with sean lewis this week or are there other people you should be looking at something needs to change at oc jared parker seems like a great guy but like he's got to move on the Bengals are already winning seven nothing god this is gonna be a long night Just so you guys all know, I was deep on the Eagles and I pressed it on the Bills. And uh, Daddy might be sleeping in a different room tonight. <laughs> uh, so this is actually this is a very interesting question on two fronts. One, yeah, I'm fairly certain that Jared Parker did not call plays at West Virginia. I'm pretty sure Neil Brown was doing that. Is that right? So you have a first time play caller, and that's 
always going to be a little bit of a learning experience. It's a learning experience every time you move up. When you're a position coach to a coordinator, from a coordinator to head coach is the biggest jump, no question. But there's new responsibilities, there's new skills, there's all these things. We talked earlier in the season, Ari, I think we used the term perfect marriage with Sam Hartman and Jared Parker. It has gone a little bit wayward. I I think we oversold the weapons. I'm not willing to punt on Jared Parker just yet because I don't think they have all of the pieces. I think people look and they will. They got an offensive line. They got Sam Hartman. What's the deal? Guys are struggling to get open. And they don't have Michael Mayer, you know, running down the sidelines or running down the seams, um, you know, just being untackleable and catching everything. So I would say chill out on Jared Parker a little bit. Get some more weapons. Give him a little bit more experience. The Sean Lewis conversation is very, very interesting. You can roll your eyes at him or say he's overrated or whatever. He's going to have a very active market for his services. It's already happening. Very, very soon. Yes. Uh, I think he makes sense at a lot of places, but you have to be on board with tempo and you have to be on board with his offense. I think Arkansas makes a lot of sense for him, but I could see him going to a number of places. Um, I don't, I think just to be tough to sell him as a head coach right now, even though, you know, he had it going for the last four years at Kent state. I mean, this is the reason why he left is he was having trouble moving up. Um, but I think he's going to be fine. I don't know that Notre Dame makes a lot of sense for him, but it's an interesting question. I think to that is a twofold question of what we make of the Jared Parker situation and where Sean Lewis ends up next. I'm not sure that Marcus Freeman is going to be on board with that offense. I'll just tell you. So I, I looked up the stats just now as, as we're talking Notre Dame here. Uh, they're averaging, I think, close to six more points a game than they were a year ago when they were 41st in scoring. Sounds like maybe don't fire the coordinator. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying they're a top 15 scoring offense, and and they yeah. played a pretty good Clemson defense. And, and I, I mean, think, they also did score like 60 points in back-to-back weeks to pad those numbers too. Right? Well, maybe, yeah, but but I think stats I, I mean, are stupid. I, I don't know. I just think they're dumb. Well, but but Ari, here's the thing: like Notre Dame, a plays a really tough schedule, right? Every single year, they've they've got it. Like there there is some wear and tear to some of these kids' bodies every single week, and it's tough to get through. I mean, the predictions before the season weren't wasn't everybody thinking Notre Dame was a three loss team anyway? Like nobody was sitting here touting. Uh, anybody on their offense besides I, Sam Hartman? I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what to make of them. I thought Hartman had a lot of upside, and they looked so good early that I was like, ah. And then I kind of, I really thought they were going to punk uh, Ohio State, and then they they didn't. They they competed, but yeah. Ari's looking for a score. Oh, I thought that you were going to continue. Sorry, yeah, I was watching the Bills game. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't know what to think about Notre Dame because even I don't know if I. I thought they were going to be better than they are um, yeah. before the year. I don't think I would join you on the this team could make the playoff bandwagon. You want to know why? And this is maybe a story for the offseason. I don't know. But I was watching the Arizona game on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And T-Mac, Tete Aroa McMillan. Stud. Did you see that touchdown catch? I don't know if you guys watched, if you stayed up late enough to watch it, but. When you think about the sure numbers of receiver talent in this sport this year, every it's single like the best year for receivers in like a decade. Or I was more. reading this mock drafts during the Alabama game last night because Neighbors was blowing me away. You know that catch that yeah. Neighbors made where he was out of bounds and then floated his leg back in. To... And he might be the fifth receiver drafted this year. Yeah. 
if you don't have that guy, like, you know, there was this notion that in order to win a national championship, you had to have an elite level quarterback or a, a draftable quarterback. You had to have a Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson or a Tua or somebody like that on your team. And I don't know if the actual answer to that question is you need to have Marvin Harrison or you need to have Malik Neighbors or you need to have Keon Coleman. And Notre Dame just does not have a single player, and I can't remember the last time they had a wideout. Maybe there's, an, I mean, yeah, Lad McConkey, very good player. If you don't have that, there is a ceiling to your offense in the sport. Yeah. A major in this, one. In this, yes. Mm-hmm. And Notre Dame, for as good as they looked early on in the year, just doesn't have that guy. And I think that that, that, always, that always rears its head eventually. So, you know, I don't I would, know if I, would say I what, watch. Chase Claypool is the last real Notre Dame receiver, right? Yeah. Well, they had Tim Brown or 88, Tony. <laughs> I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I and think the thing in the about old days, is, you could have got away with it. But in the in the current game, the way the game is played right now, I agree with Yari. You got to have a game breaker. You got to have somebody taking the top off the defense. And Andrew Cooper says Clemson doesn't have that guy either. What is Clemson's record if they do? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. And, and the no, thing if, about if it too only, is it's not res, it's not reserved to only the good teams. All right, if only there was a way that you could add like really good playmakers in one off season <laughs> that like had proven themselves. Like I know Clemson, Clemson's <laughs> got to build their program, but just like you know, you look at modern college football and you're just like, I don't know how you do that. How do you go get a playmaker in an off season? It, you know, it's not well, fantasy football. Will Fuller, the last first round pick at receiver for Notre Dame, 2016. There's your there's your factoid. Good point. I'm here for that, Ari. Will Fuller, I, a, I guess. I threw a lot of touchdowns to him on Madden uh, <laughs> on the Texans one year. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. We we could go down the best the list of best receivers, but like I like watch Troy Franklin at Oregon. Watch T Mac at U of A. You know, I I see I see play. I mean, let's not get started on even the Washington receivers. I mean, all the playoff. The only I wonder if you went down your list of eleven right now. How many teams in that 11 don't have one? And I think Michigan might be one, but who who else? Uh, let's see here. I'm going through it now. Everybody seems to have one. <sighs> who is the worst receiver? I guess Alabama, you could say. I mean, Burton's Alabama, top, maybe? Yeah. Burton's their uh, top guy. I mean, I uh, I don't know. Isaiah Bond might be turning into something. I don't know. Right, right. Oh, they but don't play LSU say- every week, Ari. I'd say that's probably the weakest. I mean, Slab McConkey count, front man. <laughs> yeah, I think just production's sake, I feel like you have to count McConkey. You can look at him, you can watch him, but I, all I know is he gets open and he's very productive. So he's not a freak, and you know, I, I he's the deceivably Georgia, fast. The Georgia fans are still mad at me for in the coaching confidential, the coach that was making fun of him, saying he couldn't fill out his pads, and like I can't believe that guy plays at Georgia. It's true. It is crazy that all the guys Georgia has, Lad McConkey and like Makai Muse are in there making plays for them. But like, it is what it is. He's always open. Like, credit to the guy. You know, Kirby Smart said the other night, you know, they ran a bubble screen to him. They blocked it totally wrong. They missed all the blocks. He spun out of a block and made a a 25 yard play anyway. So, I think this is a good segue to the next question. Let's get to it. Let's do it. Ricky from Illinois. The team with the most first-round draft picks in the upcoming NFL draft has been the team that wins the national title the last seven seasons. If we look at 
Ain Bruger's most recent list. There are three teams, I believe, with five players on that list. Can anybody guess who they are? Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. Michigan has one. J.J. McCarthy. I keep hearing Michigan is going to have 18 players drafted. If you have one top 50 player, I hate to break You're not going to have 18 players drafted. I watch all the top teams basically every snap they play, and I just don't hear people talking about Michigan, how I watch them. Michigan is averaging like 4.5 yards per carry, and a lot of their best runs are with like backups or sweep, like stuff that's not – Blake Corum hasn't run for more than 4.6 yards in a Big Ten game outside of Minnesota, where he had nine carries for 69 yards. We're just excusing this, but they play Penn State this week, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if we come out of the game saying, why didn't we look at the Michigan run game? Why didn't we talk about how they haven't been good all year in the run game, anywhere close to where they were as an offense last year? You can talk about J.J. McCarthy making a step up, but shouldn't that make it better? <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get you to do that 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 T meme right there. We, we need a we need a snapshot of that. Uh, is that a, a stat? Is that true? The, the, the last seven uh, the last seven national champions had the most first round draft picks. So, Sometimes good. I've been given stats from fans before, and I plug it in my story, and then Mitch will be like, "That's not true." <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds true. Um, I, I, there is a thing too of like, would you rather have six top two round te- uh, draft picks on your team, or would you rather have twenty draft picks total? Like the top end talent, like well, the seventh round the left guard isn't going to be the one that that wins the game for you. It's the yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to. Michigan deserves everything um, uh, that they that they've accomplished, right? I guess you know. I don't want to take well, anything away well, from them until well, they place. Yeah, no, well, I know. I, all right, there's a lot I, of people who would say no to that question. Listen, so. I want to tell you guys right now, I'm going to give you a key on this. If you actually think I'm an Ohio State homer and hate Michigan, do you know how hard I would have gone on this Spygate thing? Like, I think I've actually done a really good job of giving them the benefit of the doubt of being like, you know what? Let's just wait. Due process. I'm going to I'm going to analyze this Michigan team for what they are, and I'm not going to consider the Spygate thing. I think that's the most yeah. level-headed normal way that anybody who doesn't have a dog in the fight would look at it. So, I well, mean, it's really hard to quantify. I, I think like, yeah, like what are we going to say? We, they we, suck we, because they cheated. Well, like, I'm not going to say that we've talked about it on the, on the pot a little bit. I, I do lean on coaches a lot for this because they would know the impact of this and they've seen it and experienced it. And the number of coaches who are like, this is pretty significantly affecting their bottom line. I'm like, eh. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to use the F word with them. And I'm not gonna sound all the alarms. Is I would have maybe fraud. Been, yeah, I would have been oh. thinking it if they if they had struggled with Purdue or if they lose to Penn State on Saturday, I'll be thinking it a little bit. But like at the end of the day, Ari, it is a physical game. You do have to whip the guy in front of you. And yes, I think it is a massive advantage if you know what's coming. But you know, as for the Michigan run game, it is a question for me. Now I think. When it comes to pass blocking, I'd like to see their pressure rate numbers on McCarthy because I feel like, you know, whoever the 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 least hardworking man in America might be the guy who has to wash JJ McCarthy's jersey at the end of the night because I feel like he never gets touched, and I'm I'm very intrigued to see them go toe to toe with Penn State's defensive front and see how they handle that a team that really does pressure you. 
But the running game numbers, I, I, I was looking at them before the show. I heard this voicemail, and I was like, well, he might be overstating things a little bit. They're pretty concerning. I think you look at the final score, <clears throat> and they haven't played a premier game, and you're like, well, Michigan's just killing people. But that is... It, it's in the back of my head now, going into this Penn State game. They're winning a lot with defense. They're not, they're not winning. I mean, yes, they're averaging 40 points a game, but he's right. I mean, 4.57 yards a carry. And, and by the way, the uh, pass blocking efficiency, like the amount of pressures allowed, they're tied for 55th, according to Pro Football Focus. So uh, from a pass blocking perspective, it's not like they're, you know, like Georgia or Oregon mm-hmm. even, who's like no pressure at all. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting matchup for sure. Uh Group A had three players drafted in the first round last year. Georgia had six first rounders selected in the 2022 draft. <laughs> By the way, I will say, so uh, I'm sure you guys didn't see this. I didn't write about it, but I thought it was a very interesting comment. Uh, Kirby Smart, just like as an aside after the game last night, referred to the 2021 defense as one of the top three defenses ever. You don't really hear coaches like say that a lot. It was pretty interesting. I mean, I I thought I hadn't really thought about them in terms of like historical impact. I looked at them and I said, that's the best defense I've seen since uh, 11 or 12 Bama. I forget the year. Um, That's definitely the best I'd seen in a decade. And you look at obviously all the pieces drafted off of them. Most of them are playing for the Eagles now. But uh, it was just it was very interesting comment. Um, And I think the further it gets away from it, like. Kirby Smart's just an interesting dude. He's pretty forthcoming with a microphone in his face, and I'm sure two national championship rings helps that. But I feel like a truth serum Kirby Smart on a number of issues in the sport, like or if he was on TV or something, that would be very, very interesting. I've been looking at mock drafts um, while you were talking and listening. Ohio State is the only team that continually has two top 10 players in it. JTT and Marvin Harrison? No, Emeka Ibuka. Ah, interesting. Um, it uh, it makes you think. Ibuka's got to get healthy. He does. Okay, one more, guys. Yay, this is Doug. Calling from LNN Stadium, Louisville. This is for uh, David Oven, a boy. Didn't believe in the Louisville cards, but then again, who would trust a man who, you know, walks away from a fondue place because of like, taking his uncooked meat, but show some love for the cards. ACC, baby. Love the pod. Love Ari. Because we all know he's a big Buckeye fan, but hey, love the pod. <laughs> Go cards. It's fine. It's a normal thing. It's not weird. Uh. Manny, we haven't had you on the pod. I don't know if this was discussed on Stars Matter. But just let me lay a scenario out for you, uh, Manny. Let's say you take your wife to a nice dinner for her birthday, a place she really likes, and you have, I would say, four to six ounces of filet mignon and duck that you have paid for that is uncooked. Duck? Yeah. Is it that crazy to take it home? You took raw duck home? Yes. Uh, as as a guy who's pretty cheap and makes the most of everything and brings always brings a box home, as you can Look see. Look at this guy. Look at this I, guy. Look at I, this guy. I, I, I would have done it, too. I would have brought Let's him a box. Let's go. Okay. I'm with you, Dave. Uh, on Louisville, I'm going to give it up to Louisville, okay? I, I think for Rod me, duck. <laughs> it's great. 
Ari, you can have a Group A hat, and I will have a raw duck hat for the rest of the season. I went Listen. and fed the ducks with my daughter today. We threw bread in, and we should have taken nice. one home with us, you know, put it on the skillet. Duck's delicious, just for the record. Uh, anyway, I think with Louisville, I I, the, I didn't think Georgia Tech was going to be very good coming into the season. And so you, you see them, you know, they were down, what what was it, Manny? They were down like 17 in that game before they rallied yeah. and won. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm like, kind of rule, kind of, what what's going on there? It's year one. And then Pitt, who is not very good, slaps them around. May it kind of lessens the Notre Dame win a little bit when it comes a week later. But I'm I'm here. I'm 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 in on Louisville. I want to see if they can get to the ACC championship. They're they're in the driver's seat to do that. Dominating with Virginia Tech, that's a team that's playing really, really well. I mean, you look at their schedule, they got some decent wins. Like BC, they're a good team. NC State. Pretty good team. Notre Dame, obviously a good team. Duke, sort of a complicated conversation. Virginia Tech's playing much better than they were earlier in the season. I mean, you got to give it up to Louisville. I I thought they were just going to kind of be a product of their schedule, but they're playing really, really good football. And uh, shout out to the cards. Just for the record, I need a badge or some sort of thing. I'm a cards respecter from here on out. I will say this for the cards. First of all, they're they're pretty good on defense, and I think you know everybody just assumed when Brom took over that you know that's they're going to be great on offense, and that's why they're winning. And yes, Jawar Jordan's been really good, but watching the ACC closely all year, like the defense to me has been the story for them. Uh, the Austin Gillette kid uh, has been really really good up front, uh, creating pressure in the backfield and all that, and uh, they're they are like top twenty in scoring defense and yards per play on defense. Um, and and top ten rushing defense as well, so that they deserve a lot of credit for what they're doing on that side of the ball, and I think that's why they're a legit, you know, CFP contender. I mean, if they can somehow run the table and upset FSU at the end, I know the pit loss is going to haunt them, but like, could they finish fifth or sixth? You know, maybe. Who knows? Depending on who else loses here down the stretch, but I think Louisville is certainly in a position where they beat FSU in the ACC championship game and run the table. And go eleven and one, like I don't know. You at least got to listen. I couldn't name their defensive coordinator, and I I was kind of uh, shocked. Ari, do you know who Louisville's defensive coordinator is? This is unbelievable to me. I couldn't believe it. Uh, I I don't know that I can. You will you will know the name, but you have not heard it in many many years. Ron English back in the mix. Oh wow! I know. <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, really? Huh? Okay. All right. Had not been a, uh, I don't know if he was calling the plays at Purdue. Um, I'm guessing probably not, but, you know, I'm not sure. But had not been a coordinator since San Jose State in 2016. I don't know who the offense coordinator is. Well, sure. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, shout out to Ron English. Big time. Big time. Clear eyes, As- full hearts, can't lose. Unless you're playing a Group A team, Texas forever, baby. For <laughs> the uh, record, our colleague Sam Khan is asking about. I have had squab. I actually don't really like that very much. I've had it one time. It's not. What is squab? Good. I don't even know what it is. It's pigeon, <clears throat> basically. Mm. <laughs> it's not. It's not for me. They only serve it at fancy restaurants, ironically. So Central pigeon? Park or a really nice, uh, a really nice restaurant at the two. Places the two that home you can- alone lady come in and <laughs> trade a few in yeah. for some money or what? She does. <laughs> I think. I think for an extra fifteen dollars, she will come in there in full garb, grab one off her shoulder, and just kind of go Ozzy Osbourne and rip the head off and get it going on That's the a grill. A lot of references and- on this podcast. You got Ozzy references. <laughs> we got. 
Cut. Yeah. Oh. Love your microphone, Dave. Thank you so much. <laughs> we're going to have to get another one. It looks great. Yeah, we're going to get a new microphone. We're going <laughs> to Listen, this is a this is me playing hurt, all right? Everybody's dealing with injuries and my my day-to-day mic my day-to-day mic, I have the one that Ari has. Uh, it, I don't it even was, have a stand for it. You know, yeah. the real podcasters have this going. Yeah, well, we're working on that. I have an arm they, in they here. They don't have to move, and it's just like above yeah. them. Like the we're Josh getting Tate there. Mike. We're getting there. We're you getting know, there. I'm holding anyway, mine my, up like my, a... My day-to-day mic was injured in transit in Georgia this weekend. It was in my work bag. The plug was messed up, so we have a new mic in here. And this is the mic. Real pod listeners will know the Tennessee pod that we had many years ago with myself and Joe Rexroad, Pod for Life. That that was where we got this mic to start with. So uh, it's been a while. It's been a while. Dave, what did you have for dinner the last three nights? The last three nights. Let's see. Here. Uh, so tonight uh, I got some chicken parm from Noodles and Company. Uh, I had to do some work, so my wife went out and got it. Last night. We did, uh, uh, we did, uh, I did the, the Uber Eats Shake Shack. Yeah, Shake Shack, okay. And then I didn't really feel like doing a ton Friday night, so I did, I went to Seven Lamps in Atlanta and got a lobster roll with some fries. It was very good. Okay. <laughs> Making sure. Sorry, sorry to disappoint your fishing expedition, Ari. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the only way I can get to the bottom of them is by asking, so, um. <laughs> Everybody's Ugh. making fun of my microphone now. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta step up. We gotta step the game up. This microphone, it's got some miles on it, man. You know, it's it's old faithful. But I, I would oh, like Ari, to have actually, one. Actually, I should note this morning. Uh, I almost texted it to you, but I was working on other stuff. I was writing a newser from the Colorado overnight. But I did go to Original Pancake House in Atlanta before I came back home and did eat some of their delicious crepes uh, with some bacon. It was fantastic. There's an OHOP right across the street from where I live, and I never go yeah. there. You should go there. It's very good, Ari. Yeah, I've only been there a few times. We used to go years. there after church all the time. My wife got tired. We went there so many times, my wife got tired of it, and we stopped going there. The thing, here's a hot take to let you guys go. You want a food take, a bonus food take an hour and ten minutes into this thing? Let's do it. <laughs> <clears throat> I think all breakfast places are the same. Not the good ones are. No. You're wrong about this. No, this wrong. is just a, I think, and I also think all Mexican take. restaurants are the same. <laughs> now, now that is more true than the previous take, but not that true. It's like Ari, eggs and toast and pancakes. Uh, it's like okay, Ari, I mean, it's here's the same shit. Two things. Two things. First of all, I like a little creativity in my breakfast. You're wrong. Well, I know you like you would rather waffles. go to Dairy Queen and just get the ice cream cone stuck on your pancakes. <laughs> No, I, mean, I like, don't do that. How many, how many two, different ways can you make an over easy egg? I mean, it's just like, two, what do you want? Ari, some- I don't think I'm going to be going to the national championship this year. But in the event that I do, and you also go, I'm going to take you to Spanish Flowers in Houston, Texas. And they have this queso fundido that is one of the most amazing things I've ever eaten. And also, they're in that same place. They have handmade, homemade tortillas. Ari... It redefined for me what I thought tortillas could be. I have never eaten a tortilla that tasted and was the texture and the flavor of the tortillas. There are good tortillas. At Spanish Flowers. There are. There are good tortillas. It was unbelievable. So if anyone in the chat has been to Spanish Flowers in Houston. But here's the thing that everybody. I got to give a shout out to my guy. My guy Greg Tepper from Dave Campbell's Texas Football took me there uh, a long time ago. And it was, it's fantastic. You know what, what, how I know I'm right though? (laughs) Sam knows. Sam Every knows. single time I ever bring up that Mexican take, 
everyone like goes to tacos and like, oh, there's this awesome taco place or this awesome tortilla place or has. Tor-. I'm talking about like just traditional Mexican restaurants like you sit down and mm-hmm. get your fajitas or whatever. You know, some are better than others, but like, you know, what you're going to get chimichanga or whatever. Like, you're, you know, what you're they're all the same. It's the same six ingredients and it's the same. You don't have to look at the menu because they're all the same menu. It's like if you have a special taco somewhere, like, of course, Dan Rubenstein opened my eyes yeah. in January by taking me to the best taco places in L.A. And the tortillas and the, and the tacos that he took me to are delicious. The taco is a flavor delivery system. But I, I feel like, like taco. I like traditional ones, but I like weird ones, too. There is a place in, in uh, Knoxville but, that serves a duck breast taco with a cherry uh, gastrique like sauce in there. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I, I think the tacos are are different and good. But here's my take on Mexican food and maybe why I need to be more serious about the diet. But the tortilla, and this is this is scorching. I'm scared to hear this now. Okay. Is the worst carb variety of any other restaurant. You go to an Italian place, you get real bread. Tortilla is not bread. So you can't, like rice and tortilla does not make up for Rolls and buns and crust and all the different types of carbs that you get at every other place. And if you if you're a carb person, and unfortunately I am, it just doesn't scratch the itch for me. You got to get doesn't. some Spanish flowers tortillas, Ari. I know you're but more you think right than you're wrong, but I will say like, that I don't think that the Spanish flowers I'm, tortillas are better than the breadsticks at Olive Garden. They are. Like, for the record. I, I bet you they they're are. not. They are. And Olive they're Garden is like a bottom of the barrel Italian restaurant. Well, they're not. They are. Manny? We got to get Sam in there. I, I measure all Mexican restaurants by two things their salsa and their tortilla chips. And if they make both of them there and they and they specialize in it, to me, that's what makes a good Mexican restaurant. Everything else does pretty much taste the same. Ari, have you, been to, have you been to Mia's over on Lemon in Dallas before? Uh, if I did, it wasn't memorable enough to remember. So My yeah, wife loves Mexican food. We've been to the Mexican, we've been to. All sorts of different places. Fernando's here. Like I've been, I eat Mexican food all the time. I'm not even saying it's not good. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying it's hard to distinguish one from the other. It's not a terrible take, Ari. I, I, you're not fully right, but you're not all the way wrong. Always breakfast. To you're totally wrong. Breakfast. breakfast you're, totally you're wrong. breakfast. You're totally wrong. Some pancakes you, are better than others, but pancakes. You're are pancakes. preaching against the sweet element of breakfast, which knocks on the door. I love heresy breakfast. In my mind, I love. Yeah, but breakfast. you don't like the sweet aspect of it. All right, if you come you back just, to South Florida, which I know you love coming down here. No, I will. I'm going to be living in Boca here pretty soon. You, you got to go to the Little Hen. <laughs> if the bills Weston. win. <laughs> the Little Hen. Best best breakfast place down here. Yeah, like Andy Florida. took me, and I went to a few good breakfast places with Max during the official visit tour. And, like, if you get a real genuine biscuit, you know, and they do breakfast right, like, it's great. Like, there are there are um, really good breakfast places. But I just feel like... Every diner and every place you get an omelet, like you're basically know like what range you're going to be in. I've never gone to a place to just like drop my fork on the table and just go, holy shit, that is the greatest omelet I've ever had. <laughs> like, have you? Like, fair I, enough, I don't know. Fair enough. Like, it's not I that say, crazy. I'm not saying I don't like breakfast food. I'm just saying like who has the best omelet in America isn't necessarily on the top Google list. Yeah. We did get a Maggiano shout out in the chat, by the way. Maggiano's catered at our wedding, Ari. Maggiano's is really good. I mean, it's a chain. It's fine. It's I'm not, not. Yeah, I'm not a. Yeah. I'm not a big Italian food person in general. But we got a selection of things and a couple of pastas and yeah, you got a few pastas. Did you get a chicken parm in there or what? 
I honestly don't. You didn't, have, like, str- you didn't farm spray brains, for I the think. chicken parm. I honestly don't remember what we had. I think there was some chicken parm. We had some arancini. I know that we had some arancini in the mix. It was good. It was a good situation. Manny went to SeaWorld on his honeymoon. Okay, thanks, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) If you think that's funny, listen to a few weeks ago, Stars Matter. We really dove in. We we drove deep into that. Manny, it was awesome hanging out with you in Jacksonville last week. Love seeing you as much as I do. Dave, thanks so much for indulging me on my my breakfast and uh, team (laughs) group A, group B text. We're going to have some fun (laughs) with that as we go on. And thanks, of course, most importantly to all of you who are here every time we go live and people who are participating. Even you, Keith, buddy, I love you. I love you, man. <laughs> I hope your team that probably is going to benefit from the twelve-team playoff finally finds. Are you'll appreciate like, this? I'm. Our producer said he is a Penn State fan. He's a Penn State fan, which which might be the funniest possible. Right down the middle. Okay. <laughs> the team that can benefit the most from the expanded playoffs fan is upset that I declared that Georgia's the best team. All right, guys. Good night. We'll it's talk to you. It's the funniest possible yeah, team. Yeah. <laughs> right down the middle every time. Okay. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. That was until Saturday. Bring back the turnover chain. Manny, thanks for trying to find me.